This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Let's start the new year out with a bang on the show where we educate everybody about sexual health. We talk about that secret society we know as sex. Everybody's doing it. It's just that nobody is talking about it. Well, of course, me every Sunday night on the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. This is the show where we educate everybody about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making your relationships the best they can be. Good evening. I am Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse in the field of sexual health, author of the book Sex and Health, Why One Can't Come Without the Other, a researcher, blogger at Fifty Shades of Pink and Straight Up, a clinician in clinical practice. Yes, I am in North Vancouver and Vancouver. I know many of you have had questions about that of late, but uh, yes, I still see patients. I'm a TEDx speaker and your resource to help start that conversation, answer your questions, and help you discover new and exciting things about sex, love, your health, your body, and your relationships. I make no innuendos, no judgments, and certainly am... Do not make any apologies. Just fearless, straight-up talk about sex. I guarantee it will be illuminating, enlightening, and a little bit fun. So please stay with me. Of course, for those of you who have been sexually abused, you are never far from my heart or my thoughts. And we will try and certainly cover those tragic and difficult subjects as well. Do put the kitties to bed as listener discretion is advised. Uh, So here we are starting out the new year with a bang. Matt, how are you? Yeah, good. It's good to see you again. Yeah, nice to see you. You had a nice time off? Yeah, you know, I was working quite a bit, but I learned a lot here. So Oh, that's fantastic. It, it was a great Christmas break. I got to go back to visit my parents before Christmas. Nice. But, uh, yeah. Oh, very good. Well, Happy New Year to you. You so as well. I, I thank you so much. I've been off for a little bit. Got back at it today, though. I uh, was on call today and was called out promptly at 7 o'clock in the morning or so. So anyway, um, but uh, we're ready to go for 2017. We have some uh, lots of exciting subjects coming up. And, and one of the things that people do, I don't know if you've made any New Year's resolutions, but more often than not, people say, I'm going to take off some weight, I'm going to go to the gym more, and I'm going to cut down on my consumption of alcohol, right? Uh, people have uh, consumed a fair bit over the holidays, I'm, potentially. I'm attempting to do all of those at the moment. Are so. you? Well, you don't need to lose any weight. No, but I also, <laughs> I just want to get moving again, like, just get fit. The, absolutely, and that's what it is, get exercising. I spent far too much time on the beach over the holidays, but uh, that was great. Uh, yeah, so getting exercise... I, exercising again. But, you know, something we don't talk about, we're talking a lot about fentanyl, the drug fentanyl, but we don't talk about the drug alcohol. And so tonight we're going to be covering women and alcohol in particular. And I'm delighted to have former uh, Real Housewife of Vancouver, Ronnie Holly Negus, joining me in the studio to talk about her battle with the bottle and her 365 days or more of sobriety. So, It's an issue that may affect a woman's sexuality, her sex life, her relationships with her intimacy, uh, her her intimate relationships, as well as family relationships and personal relationships. So it's a a pretty significant uh, issue in society today. Also, the B.C. government has decided to cover our grade six boys with the HPV vaccine. So a lot of people will be up in arms about that because many people feel that children begin to have sex a lot sooner once they are vaccinated. But research actually shows that the more education about sex, which does come along with the HPV vaccine, the less likely children are to start adolescence or to to start engaging in sex. We'll talk a little bit about that tonight. And what about broken heart syndrome? I mean, we've all had broken hearts from lovers, somebody who uh, didn't love us quite as much as we loved them. And, uh, and also, uh, if, somebody, if we've lost somebody uh, who passed on from this earth. Uh, so broken heart syndrome, is it real? Well, I'm delighted as well to have Dr. John Weisler, cardiologist, and a colleague and friend of mine back here. He's a regular health contributor to this program, so he's going to be talking about, amongst many things, the broken heart syndrome and if that is real or not. Anybody who's ever had a broken heart knows just how real that is and the physical symptoms that can go alongside of that. But let's start the year out off on a good foot. And uh, does anybody ever make the resolution to have more sex. I mean, you never hear anybody saying that. I bet a lot of people would love to make that resolution. They're probably thinking it, but they don't want to say it. Oh, darn, I wish I'd thought of that. Um, But I have some aphrodisiac foods that will help to get you started off on the right foot and perhaps get you back to the bedroom, having a little bit more fun there. 
Uh, you know, infidelity is a big issue, and and that's because of a sexless marriage. I'm going to be talking about both of those tonight. But over the holidays, I was a guest on another show, our sister station in Winnipeg, CJOB, Jeff Courier's show. He has a great show out in Winnipeg, and uh, he's got a big interest in, in, in these subjects. He has me on routinely. But we were very interested to see that in Italy... Uh, a Catholic country, pretty much, that has the Pledge of Fidelity. And in fact, we, we pledge fidelity in marriage. That's, that's pretty common, but that's mandated by law in Italy. So that's, there's a proposal to change that law so that no longer will couples have to pledge fidelity. I mean, a lot of couples pledge fidelity and then do not abide by that either. So that can be an issue. But, but, is marriage and sex. I mean, since I did that TED Talk, I've had thousands of comments from people. Some people said sex and marriage is an oxymoron, and uh, the sex ended as soon as the wedding band went on. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, lots of issues around sex and marriage. Of course, being bored sexually can be an issue. Uh, of course, you're paying bills and dealing with the everyday with somebody, and that can make them much less attractive than when you first started uh, perhaps going out with them. So uh, we'll be talking a little bit about that. And what does that look like? What if marriage didn't come with the Pledge of Fidelity. What would that look like for you? How do you feel about that? You can always give me a call about that, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. In fact, you can call, talk to me about anything, any questions you have at all. I'm happy to answer. I've got a lot of your emails tonight that I'm going to answer um, for you. One uh, about perineal massage, something for the guys. And devices to increase your pleasure. So I had a great email with regard to that. So we'll be talking about that as well. And some safety devices for women. And I also have a psychic medium who's going to be joining me a little bit later on in the program, the second hour of the program. She deals exclusively with men's sexuality issues. And so if you have any questions for her... She potentially can predict your future, your future of pleasure or not. Um, but anyway, you can call me 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. And um, I have lots of emails from you, so I look forward to answering those for you. You've probably been waiting for a little bit. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the womanizer and why that increases sexual desire. I was lying on the beach <laughs> uh, and getting orders for womanizers. <laughs> Um, which was, you know, and I knew that was going to be the best gift ever for for some of these uh, listeners or I've actually followers. had friends ask about it now. Have you? Yeah. yeah, because I've mentioned it before, and I've said, well, we give these great gifts away. And they're, they're, at first they're just like, I don't really know about that. And then a couple of weeks later, they always come back like, well, what is that? Can you explain it a little bit? So. Well, it's actually a device that will increase sexual desire in women. And that's the feedback that I'm getting from some of my patients. So I, I prescribe it for primary inorgasmia, but also a lot of uh, people who maybe listen to the show or follow me on Twitter at back the number two, the bedroom, uh, do learn about it or hear about it and, and do order it. And uh, so it can be very helpful for women because sexual desire, of course, is a big issue for women. And according to the Preside study, affects approximately 44% of women between the ages of 24 and 44. So this is not an older woman's issue. In fact, it can affect any woman at any age, at any time of life, but certain circumstances may impact it and increase the risk of low sexual desire in your relationship. The key is marrying or being with the right person. That's always helpful. Anyway, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Back the Number Two The Bedroom. My website is backtothebedroom.ca. I have a blog, Fifty Shades of Pink. And also, I'm going to be expanding that blog this year. It was largely about vaginal health, but we're going to be looking at pregnancy and breastfeeding and fertility and sexual desire. And so lots of subjects of interest to people in relationships. And also straight up, my blog for men. Uh, so we've got lots to talk about tonight, lots of things to cover. But when I come back, we're going to be talking about women and alcohol. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW.
Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath hosting this show for you. Happy New Year to you. Happy to have you here this evening with me. We're talking about some of the hidden risks of drinking, especially for women. Women are more vulnerable than men to the effects of alcohol, even though women may drink smaller amounts. Of course, women who are drinking excessively have an increased risk of health problems such as liver disease, brain damage, and breast cancer. It may also affect their sexuality, sexual desire, and their relationship. Women can recover from alcohol dependence much like men can, but women may have more difficulty gaining access to the treatment. That is in part because women often require child care to access treatment. And also, alcohol consumption is women in women is often related to anxiety or depression. And so there are very few treatment centers that actually offer these treatment for these comorbidities. It's not always that a woman will have anxiety or depression in addition to her alcohol consumption, but uh, there is certainly a risk. So joining me tonight, I'm very happy to have in the studio is, you probably know her, former Real Housewife of Vancouver, Ronnie Holly Negus, who is uh, 365 days or more uh, sober, so she's had uh, her own battle with the bottle, as many women do. But she has more than 365 days of sobriety under her belt. Um, welcome to the studio, Ronnie. Great to have you. Oh, thank you for having me, Marie. It's You're, nice to be here. Oh, well, that's great. You look fantastic, I have to thank say. Um, so, women and drinking—it's—it's it's very common. It there has been a stigma about it in the past. Uh, it wasn't uh, so ladylike or feminine or even admitted that women drank or um, would get drunk. It wasn't, um, it was a big uh, secret. There were some certainly stigmas associated with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're 365 days or more. Now that was at uh, the end of the year. Mm-hmm. You posted on Facebook that mm-hmm. you were sober mm-hmm. for the past year. Congratulations. Thank That's you. a tremendous feat. Thank you. For you, yes. Thank um, you so much. I really and appreciate that. Yeah. No. Not at all. It's a. It's a big accomplishment. And um, so, tell me, how does one know that they're an alcoholic? They say that, or that, that that there is a battle with the bottle, or that their alcohol consumption is too much. They say that the alcoholic, and if even you term yourself an alcoholic, I, I don't even know, but is the last person to know uh, that they have a problem, may have a problem with drinking. So, how is it that you? found that out well i think that um if it's affecting your life if alcohol is affecting your life then you have a problem if you drink every single day and it's not affecting your life you probably don't have a problem i mean maybe it's it's if it's affecting your everyday life or but how do you know that it's affecting your everyday life denial is a drug and denial Mm -hmm. certainly plays a big role in those people who consume alcohol daily, perhaps, or even binge drink. Uh, they may not think it's a problem to stay in bed. And I, I actually spoke to somebody while I was in Mexico. He was on the beach, and he was about 35 years old. He gave up drinking at the age of 28. And because he he missed days, he was just about to get married. It was two months before his wedding. He missed days. He would spend all of Saturday in bed shaking. He missed. He would party on Thursday night, Friday night. Saturday was a miss. He had no idea how he got home. He had blackouts. He would spend the day in bed shaking, and he said he went to a psychiatrist to deal with his anxiety, and he was told he was an alcoholic, and he said he thought he was the last person on earth <laughs> that yeah. was an alcoholic. I think that alcohol is, is so different for every single person. I mean, some people have issues with alcohol and they only drink on holidays. And when they drink on holidays, they drink so much that they black out. I mean, you could either drink every day, you can drink on social occasions, on weekends only, after 5 p.m., only with friends, you know, never before noon. Alcohol can sneak up on you. It's a progressive disease. Um, I knew, I don't think I was the last person to know. I knew that um, first of all, I come from a very long line of alcoholics, Norwegian and Danish alcoholics, so I was pretty much doomed. But um, the Vikings know how to throw the the booze back. But as do the Irish, the French, yeah, the I was, Italians. <laughs> I was going to say, unless you're Irish or, or French or Italian, exactly. Um, I, I think we all have our issues for sure. But um, for me, I got. I've been getting sober, by the way. Um, you had mentioned the 365, and uh, it's just been amazing, by the way. 
I've been getting sober uh, for three years, and I've been sober for about 85% of that time. It's a journey. Yes. Um, Getting sober is quite often not, I think I'm going to get sober and you never drink again. I would get three months sober and I would drink. I would get five months and I would drink. It is part of our social fabric. It's everywhere. You go for lunch and there's alcohol. You go to somebody's house and there's alcohol. You celebrate over alcohol. People drink because they're mad, happy, sad, glad. I mean, we drink for so many different reasons. And for me, I was drinking to self-medicate and to numb the pain of a bad marriage. And um, I had a daughter that was born very prematurely. And, you know, life throws us all curveballs. And we do, um, we cope. And sometimes alcohol, and for so many people in the world, it's, it's the drug of choice. I mean, it's legal. Well, it's absolutely accepted by society, but it is a drug, as you say. Mm-hmm. It is a drug. And uh, so alcoholism is, is just so different for every single person. And so you might not drink every day, but when you do drink, you might black out or you might get the worst hangover. So whatever it is that doesn't work for you, when you get to that place, you and only you know it. Yeah, your family, I'm sure people that have drinking issues, people all around see it. It affects relationships. It affects marriages. It affects people in so many various... Children. Children. It affects. Yeah, and by the way, it's so wonderful for me as a mother with adult sons and even for my younger daughters to pave the way and to show them that, hey, look, I did it. Your mom did it. Because... I have a 28-year-old son and a 21-year-old son, and they like to go out and they like to party. I mean, this is Vancouver. The kids, they like to go out there, and they're looking at their mother, and they're going, wow, look at mom. So for me to be able to set that example and to say, I did it, and whoever thought I'd get sober? Really? If I could get sober, anybody can get sober. What were some of the issues you were having in your life? Well, I, uh, I got kind of tired of the cycle, drink get drunk, recover, repeat, drink, get drunk, recover, repeat. Uh, feeling like, unwell? Were you, yeah, when you, you say know, um, recover, what was the recovery part? Well, you, I would drink, and uh, I don't process alcohol like everybody else. I don't drink like other people. We all have an enzyme in our body called aldehyde dehydrogenase, and it's responsible for the second step of breaking down ethanol, ethanol into seric acid. I don't have a lot of the enzyme. I don't break down alcohol like other people. But regardless, when I would drink, you never knew what you were going to get. Like I'm either swinging from chandeliers and the life of the party or I'm ready to pick a fight. Somebody looks at me the wrong. So you never really knew with me what you would get. And uh, I would drink and sometimes um, it would only be a few glasses, but I would be I started suffering from really debilitating hangovers. And I couldn't deal with the hangovers. I was never either, I was never the type of person that would drink and do the hair of the dog, drink the next day. Um, I would never get up and, and like have to have a shot or something. For me, the next day was like, I feel like shit. In and, bed. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Tylenol, which is not the best thing to take either. We're going to talk a little bit more about okay. that. I'm going to ask you to stay in the studio if you don't mind. We're going to sure. continue about uh, some of the health effects that drinking has on a woman and why it's different for her and how it relates to her weight, her health, her personal genetic makeup, uh, how much she's been eating, and, and her age as well. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. If you have any questions for me, Tall, give me a call, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. I'm Maureen McGrath, registered nurse in the field of sexual health. We talk all things sex on the program because everything is related to sex and even alcohol. And we're talking about the effects of alcohol on women. And Ronnie Holly Negus, a former Real Housewife of Vancouver, and she's actually a Real Housewife too, uh, is joining me in the studio. She's stayed over the break uh, to talk a little bit further about the impact alcohol has on health and relationships. There are several biological factors that make women more vulnerable to the effects of alcohol than men. One is body fat, for example. Women tend to tend to weigh less than men pound for pound. And a woman's body contains less water and more fatty tissue than a man. So because fat retains alcohol while water dilutes it, alcohol will remain at higher concentrations for longer periods of time 
in the body of a woman, and that exposes her brain and other organs like her liver to the effects of alcohol and to more alcohol. Of course, women have lower levels of two enzymes, alcohol dehydrogenase and aldehyde dehydrogenase as well, and they break down or metabolize the alcohol in the stomach and the liver. And so women, therefore, because they have a decreased amount of these enzymes, absorb more alcohol into their bloodstreams than men. Life is not fair. Men get to drink more alcohol than women. Men get to do a whole lot more in this world than women, but that's another show. We'll talk about that another time. Of course, the changing hormone levels during the menstrual cycle may also affect how a woman metabolizes alcohol. So lots of things affect uh, a woman's ability to drink alcohol, as I mentioned, her weight and her health, her personal genetic makeup and family history. And some experts feel that women who drink even one alcoholic drink per day may be putting themselves at an increased risk for health problems. And for pregnant women, I would like to say no amount of alcohol is deemed safe. So it is never okay to drink alcohol while you are pregnant. There are certainly risks to a baby's health. Uh, Something else that's very interesting is that about half of all cases of alcoholism in women begin after age 59. I'm not sure what that's about. Uh, Is that uh, Ronnie was mentioning how uh, she drank because of her uh, bad marriage, as you say, relationship issues. And so uh, do women after 30 years wake up and say, oh, no, not you. I better hit the bottle. <laughs> We're alone here. <laughs> uh, Ronnie, thanks for joining me uh, or staying here in the studio with me. So you said that um, one of the reasons for your drinking was the relationship that you were in. So what was? how did alcohol help you in that regard? Well, I was drinking during my marriage. As a matter of fact, we filmed The Housewives, and I think that the world thought I had this perfect marriage, and uh, and I tried to portray that. But doesn't everybody though? And we all do. And mm-hmm. and I was because I was in front of the public eye, and it, it also aired in eleven different countries. A lot of um, you know my moments with alcohol aired, and it was. Uh, it, most people's alcoholic moments don't air in front of 11 different countries, but mine did. Um, but I was trying it, to portray... It felt, it felt during that that they were actually really trying to portray this drinking problem. Yeah. That, that they were almost exaggerating it. They were. I yes. mean, I would have... I would pick up a glass of wine and take a sip, and then they would play that same clip 12 times, so it looked like I just kept drinking and drinking and drinking. It's all the magic editing wand. Right. Um, but I was... Um, for me, I was doing the show and I was trying to portray that I had this perfect marriage and and I didn't have a perfect marriage at all and so I was drinking to numb the pain I was drinking to uh, I was self-medicating and without getting into too much detail um, it, my husband wouldn't come home and he wouldn't show up and you know it's one in the morning and I'd have a glass of wine and then it's like three in the morning and I've gone through a bottle of wine and it's um, it's the self-medicating people. Like I said, people drink for so many different reasons. But a typical reason for people to drink is to self-medicate. People drink to forget. People drink because they don't want to deal with the situation. People drink for so many reasons. But that's one of them. And that was one of the reasons I drank. I also drank because I was happy and I like drinking and that martinis taste good. I mean, a hundred different reasons, but that was one of them. So when you were waiting up at at three o'clock in the morning drinking, the next day, did you have to get up with your children? Yeah, but I've also been very, very, very fortunate that I've always had help, right? So you didn't actually have to get up with your children. I didn't have to get up, but I would. You would get up with them. Because that's the mother I am. I mean, as sick as I would feel in the morning... You know, it'd be like, I'm up with my kids. No matter how much help, I've always been, I pride myself on being an amazing mom. So uh, being up with the kids is always something I drive. I've always driven my kids to school and I, and I pick them up and take them to all their activities and stuff. But Now, would you have been drinking till three o'clock in the morning and then driving them the next morning? I um, mean, well, is, I wasn't always drinking it, at three o'clock in the morning. Oh. Let's put it this way. It's dinner time. Your husband doesn't show up. For dinner. Yeah. So you... And I like to drink while I'm cooking, like or I did. Yeah. I would have a glass of wine or, you know, you'd open a bottle of wine and cook. And I like to cook. So um, let's say your husband doesn't show up and where is he and the phone's off and it's one o'clock in the morning. I'd be in bed by three and I wasn't really drinking till three. But, you know, it's like one in the morning and you're like, where the hell is your husband? 
Well, I'd probably drink a bottle and a half of wine wondering where he was, and then I'd go to sleep, and it would be a shitty night because you'd be tossing and turning, and uh, that's hard stuff. It that's is very hard, hard stuff. stuff on and a relationship when Was a he a drinker? He is a drinker. He's a drinker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so two, two drinkers trying to navigate a yeah. relationship, an intimate relationship, and, yeah. and resolve issues and problems and pay the bills and yeah. whatever, purchase the homes. or uh, mm. um, So dealing with daily lives and the children dealing with that. And one maybe doesn't turn up and there's drinking. And, yeah. um, and, and the effect on, on the children. So how often yeah. children who grow up to be adult children of alcoholics have particular ways they um, they have false loyalties they um, have this sense of uh, perfection they have difficulty taking feedback there are certain um, ways that that those people are they may have a tendency toward anxiety have a greater risk of anxiety so how is it uh, obviously your children have seen this and now are reaping the benefits of your sobriety. Yeah, I wish that um, I had gotten sober when my uh, adult sons were young. But um, as a matter of fact, when I just had a big sobriety party at my house and I was saying my speech, my sons piped in and they said, hey, but we had a lot of fun with you too, mom. So I mean, I we had they some did. good times. I was 19 when I had my son, my first son, and uh, we kind of grew up together. By the time that you know they were adults, we would all go out and have a great time. And um, so we've had good times, but my sons have also seen, you know, me drink too much. And uh, my little daughter, Charlie, you know, God bless her soul. She was desperate for a sober parent. Mm-hmm. She was desperate for a sober parent. And I knew I, would, I needed to make that change. And I knew I wanted to make that change. And one of us was going to have to do it because I wanted my daughters to have a sober mom. And I needed to do it for me because first of all, you can't get sober for anybody else, not your kids, not your hu- husband, not your family or friends. You get sober for you. Right. And everybody else reaps the benefits. So little Charlie now and, and Remington, uh, they've got a, a sober mom. And my boys have got a sober mom. They just got a sober mom later down. It, it's never too late. And it's, it, and it's everybody's journey, as, Listen, as you some say. People, it, it, some people get sober at 21, believe it or not. It, I know it sounds like 21-year-olds getting sober, and some people don't get sober until they're 60 or 70. It is never too late. If you feel like you've got a problem and you want to stop, and I tell people this all the time, how do you stop? How did you stop? you got to want it. You have to want it. You have to want it. As much as you want to live, so as tell much me as about you want to breathe. Rock bottom. There's a. I yeah. think there's a. That's a misnomer, and I really don't mm-hmm. believe that rock bottom exists. And some yeah. reformed alcoholics have told me that yeah. that rock bottom doesn't exist. It's a, it's an illumination, ver- rather than a rock bottom, because obviously some people end up on the street um, as an alcoholic or lose their jobs, their families, their houses, their lives. Um, and that does not stop them from drinking. But perhaps one word. I had a patient whose four year old son. Uh, turned to him. They had one uh, one hour visits weekly uh, in a designated area, and the little boy turned around and said, "Miss you, Dad," and he never drank again. And you know, there are um, there that there were yeah. so many other yeah. things that that gentleman had lost oh, his job, his wife, his family. He'd lost everything, and uh, but it was it was those words that actually stopped him from drinking. So, what would you advise people out there who? had someone in their life that was potentially drinking too much, perhaps raising children and consuming a little bit too much alcohol, dealing with problems that way, or or they themselves had an issue and, well, and wanted to make a change, especially at this time of year? Okay, well, first of all, uh, rock bottom. Some people never have a rock bottom, and some people do. Rock bottom's so different for every single person, just like the child saying to his father, I love, I love you, Dad, or I miss you, Dad. And that brings tears to my eyes because kids are always just so vulnerable mm-hmm. in these situations. Um, what was that second part of the question? Sorry. Um, so what, what advice would you give to somebody who wanted to make the change or perhaps thought that their drinking was too much, was, was told by um, people or felt that they wanted to make a change? How would you, what's the best, uh, your best well, wisdom? For me, I guess all I could say that if a person wants to get sober, they can get sober. You can get sober if you want it. And, those, and that is the key word for me. You have to want it. And if you want it, you can have it. How did I do it? I started going to AA. And I'm not a poster child for AA because I don't have a sponsor. I don't read the big blue book. I don't go to me. I go to maybe one meeting every eight weeks. I like to check in. Um, 
I, I don't go to step groups, but I did use AA uh, for the first three years. I would go to, you know, more meetings than I do now. Um, it's helped millions of people. So mm-hmm. whatever works for you, if it's AA, I, I don't care if it's acupuncture, whatever works for you, use it. AA is a wonderful vehicle. Like I said, it's helped millions of people. I still go. Right. I like to check in. Yeah. Um, but I don't have a sponsor. And so I would go to AA and I went for three years and I did have a sponsor. And, uh, you know, I was um, doing, I got up to step four and I was like, yeah, you know what, this doesn't really work for me. Um, I like some of it. I don't like all of it. Right. And the last time around, I just, uh, I said, that's it. And I, I just gonna did it. it. Yeah. I just and did it. A lot of people just do it. Yeah. Ronnie Holly Negus, thank you so much for thank joining you. me in the studio and thank educating you. the listeners. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Congratulations, and I wish you all the best uh, looking ahead and the best for 2017 for okay. you. Thank, thank you so much. Happy New Year. You're so welcome. Thank, thank you. you. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. If you have any questions for me at all, give me a call, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. I'm Maureen McGrath, registered nurse in the field of sexual health. We talk all things sex on the program because everything is related to sex and even alcohol. And we're talking about the effects of alcohol on women and Ronnie Holly Negus, a former real housewife of Vancouver, and she's actually a real housewife too, uh, is joining me in the studio. She's stayed over the break uh, to talk a little bit further about the impact alcohol has on health and relationships. There are several biological factors that make women more vulnerable to the effects of alcohol than men. One is body fat, for example. Women tend to tend to weigh less than men pound for pound. And a woman's body contains less water and more fatty tissue than a man. So because fat retains alcohol while water dilutes it, alcohol will remain at higher concentrations for longer periods of time in the body of a woman. And that exposes her brain and other organs like her liver to the effects of alcohol and to more alcohol. Of course, women have lower levels of two enzymes, alcohol dehydrogenase and aldehyde dehydrogenase as well, and they break down or metabolize the alcohol in the stomach and the liver. And so women, therefore, because they have a decreased amount of these enzymes, absorb more alcohol into their bloodstreams than men. Life is not fair. Men get to drink more alcohol than women. Men get to do a whole lot more in this world than women, but that's another show. We'll talk about that another time. Of course, the changing hormone levels during the menstrual cycle may also affect how a woman metabolizes alcohol. So lots of things affect uh, a woman's ability to drink alcohol, as I mentioned, her weight and her health, her personal genetic makeup and family history. And some experts feel that women who drink even one alcoholic drink per day may be putting themselves at an increased risk for health problems. And for pregnant women, I would like to say no amount of alcohol is deemed safe. So it is never okay to drink alcohol while you are pregnant. There are certainly risks to a baby's health. Uh, Something else that's very interesting is that about half of all cases of alcoholism in women begin after age 59. I'm not sure what that's about. Uh, Is that uh, Ronnie was mentioning how uh, she drank because of her uh, bad marriage, as you say, relationship issues. And so uh, do women after 30 years wake up and say, oh, no, not you. I better hit the bottle. <laughs> We're alone here. <laughs> uh, Ronnie, thanks for joining me uh, or staying here in the studio with me. So you said that um, one of the reasons for your drinking was the relationship that you were in. So what was, how did alcohol help you in that regard? Well, I was drinking during my marriage. As a matter of fact, we filmed The Housewives, and I think that the world thought I had this perfect marriage, and uh, and I tried to portray that. But Doesn't everybody, though? And we all do. And, mm-hmm. and I was, because I was in front of the public eye, and it, it also aired in 11 different countries, a lot of, um, you know, my moments with alcohol aired, and it was... Uh, it, most people's alcoholic moments don't air in front of 11 different countries, but mine did. Um, but I was trying it, to portray... It felt, it felt during that that they were actually really trying to portray this 
drinking problem. Yeah. That, that they were almost exaggerating it. They were. I yes. mean, I would have, I would pick up a glass of wine and take a sip and then they would play that same clip 12 times so it looked like I just kept drinking and drinking and drinking. It's all the magic editing wand. Right. Um, but I was, um, for me, I was doing the show and I was trying to portray that I had this perfect marriage and and I didn't have a perfect marriage at all. And so I was drinking to numb the pain. I was drinking to, uh, I was self-medicating. And without getting into too much detail, um, it, my husband wouldn't come home and he wouldn't show up. And, you know, it's one in the morning and I'd have a glass of wine and then it's like three in the morning and I've gone through a bottle of wine. And it's um, it's a self-medicating. People, like I said, people drink for so many different reasons. But a typical reason for people to drink is to self-medicate. People drink to forget. People drink because they don't want to deal with the situation. People drink for so many reasons, but that's one of them. And that was one of the reasons I drank. I also drank because I was happy and I like drinking and that martinis taste good. I mean, a hundred different reasons, but right. that was one of them. So when you were waiting up at, at three o'clock in the morning drinking, with the next day, did you have to get up with your children? Yeah, but I've also been very, very, very fortunate that I've always had help. Right. So you so didn't actually have to get up I with your children. I didn't have to get up, but I would. You would get up Because that's the mother I am. I mean, as sick as I would feel in the morning, you know, it'd be like, I'm up with my kids. No matter how much help, I've always been, I pride myself on being an amazing mom. So uh, being up with the kids is always something I drive. I've always driven my kids to school and I, and I pick them up and take them to all their activities and stuff. But now, would you have been drinking till three o'clock in the morning and then driving them the next morning? I um, mean, well, is, I wasn't always drinking it, at three o'clock in the morning. Oh. Let's put it this way. It's dinner time. Your husband doesn't show up. For dinner. Yeah. So you, and I like to drink while I'm cooking, like, or I did. Yeah. I would have a glass of wine or, you know, you'd open a bottle of wine and cook. And I like to cook. So um, let's say your husband doesn't show up and where is he and the phone's off and it's one o'clock in the morning. I'd be in bed by three and I wasn't really drinking till three. But, you know, it's like one in the morning and you're like, where the hell is your husband? Well, I'd probably drink a bottle and a half of wine wondering where he was, and then I'd go to sleep, and it would be a shitty night because you'd be tossing and turning, and uh, that's hard stuff. It that's is hard very hard stuff, stuff on and a relationship. When was a he a drinker? Is, he is a drinker. He's a drinker. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's so two, two drinkers trying to navigate a relationship, yeah. an intimate relationship, and, yeah. and resolve issues and problems and pay the bills and yeah. whatever, purchase the homes or... Uh, mm. Um, so dealing with daily lives and the children dealing with that and one maybe doesn't turn up and there's drinking and, um, and, and the effect on, on the children. So how often children who grow up to be adult children of alcoholics have particular ways. They, um, they have false loyalties. They, um, have this sense of, uh, perfection. They have difficulty taking feedback. There are certain, um, ways that that those people are they may have a tendency toward anxiety have a greater risk of anxiety so how is it uh obviously your children have seen this and now are reaping the benefits of your sobriety yeah i wish that um i had gotten sober when my uh adult sons were young but um as a matter of fact when i just had a big sobriety party at my house and i was saying my speech my sons piped in and they said hey but we had a lot of fun with you too mom so i mean I we bet had they some good did. Times. I was 19 when I had my son, my first son, and uh, we kind of grew up together. By the time that, you know, they were adults, we would all go out and have a great time. And um, so we've had good times. But my sons have also seen, you know, me drink too much. And uh, my little daughter, Charlie, you know, God bless her soul, she was desperate for a sober parent. Mm -hmm. She was desperate for a sober parent. And I knew I I needed to make that change. And I knew I wanted to make that change. And one of us was going to have to do it because I wanted my daughters to have a sober mom. And I needed to do it for me because, first of all, you can't get sober for anybody else, not your kids, not your husband, not your family or friends. You get sober for you. Right. And everybody else reaps the benefits. So little Charlie now and and Remington, uh, they've got a a sober mom. And my boys have got a sober mom. They just got a sober mom later down. It's never too late. And it's it's everybody's journey. Listen, some people, some people get sober at 21, believe it or not. It, it, I know it sounds like 21 year olds getting sober and some people don't get sober until they're 60 or 70. It is never too late. If you feel like you've got a problem, 
and you want to stop, and I tell people this all the time, how do you stop? How did you stop? You got to want it. You have to want it. You have to want it as much as you want to live. So as tell much me as about you want to breathe. rock bottom. There's a, yeah. I think there's a, that's a misnomer. And I really don't mm. believe that rock bottom exists. And some yeah. reformed alcoholics have told me that, yeah. that rock bottom doesn't exist. It's, a, it's an illumination ver- rather than a rock bottom. Because obviously some people end up on the street um, as an alcoholic or lose their jobs, their families, their houses, their lives. Um, and that does not stop them from drinking. But perhaps one word, I had a patient whose four-year-old son uh, turned to him. They had one-hour uh, one visits weekly uh, in a designated area, and the little boy turned around and said, Miss you, Dad, and he never drank again. And, you know, there are... Um, there, that there were yeah. so many other yeah. things. That that gentleman had lost oh, his job, his wife, his family. He lost everything, and uh, but it was it was those words that actually stopped him from drinking. So, what would you advise people out there who had someone in their life that was potentially drinking too much, perhaps raising children and consuming a little bit too much alcohol, dealing with problems that way, or or they themselves had an issue and, well, and wanted to make a change, especially at this time of year. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, rock bottom. Some people never have a rock bottom, and some people do. Rock bottom's so different for every single person. Just like the child saying to his father, I love, I love you, Dad, or I miss you, Dad. And that brings tears to my eyes because kids are always just so vulnerable mm-hmm. in these situations. Um, what was that second part of the question? Sorry. Um, so what, what advice would you give to somebody who wanted to make the change or perhaps thought that their drinking was too much, was, was told by um, people or felt that they wanted to make a change? How would you – what's the best – your best uh, well, wisdom. For me, I guess all I could say that if a person wants to get sober, they can get sober. You can get sober if you want it. And those, and that is the key word for me. You have to want it. And if you want it, you can have it. How did I do it? I started going to AA. And I'm not a poster child for AA because I don't have a sponsor. I don't read the big blue book. I don't go to me. I go to maybe one meeting every eight weeks. I like to check in. Um, I, I don't go to step groups, but I did use AA uh, for the first three years. I would go to, you know, more meetings than I do now. Um, it's helped millions of people. So mm-hmm. whatever works for you, if it's AA, I, I don't care if it's acupuncture, whatever works for you, use it. AA is a wonderful vehicle. Like I said, it's helped millions of people. I still go. Right. I like to check in. Yeah. Um, but I don't have a sponsor. And so I would go to AA and I went for three years and I did have a sponsor and, uh, you know, I was um, doing, I got up to step four and I was like, yeah, you know what? This doesn't really work for me. Um, I like some of it. I don't like all of it. Right. And the last time around, I just, uh, I said, that's it. And I, I just, just did it. it. Yeah. I just and did it. A lot of people just do it. Yeah. Ronnie Holly Negus, thank you so much for thank joining you. me in studio and thank educating you. the listeners. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Congratulations. And I wish you all the best uh, looking ahead and the best for 2017 for okay. you. Thank, thank you so much. Happy New Year. You're so welcome. Thank, thank you. you. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath here hosting this show for you. Thank you so much for being with me. It's always my pleasure to be here with you as we uh, recover from 2016 and move on to 2017. We are still rebounding from the losses of 2016. We're mourning the loss of many loved ones and friends and and celebrities. And of course, both Carrie Fisher and George Michael, two of my favorites, both died from heart disease. These deaths are shocking, but uh, the reality of heart disease being the culprit is not. And Dr. John Weisler joins me in studio. He's a cardiologist, well known to this program. Welcome to the program, Dr. Weisler. Thanks very much, Maureen. Great to be here again. Oh, thanks for coming in as usual. It's always great to have you here with the great information um, about heart disease. It's uh, the number one killer. Number one for both men and women, that's right. For men and women, exactly. So uh, this, is, this, this is scary, and, uh, and people don't realize what they're doing to their bodies that may impact uh, heart disease. But l- let's look to Carrie Fisher. We heard that she had uh, an incident, uh, 
heart attack on the plane, and but she was stable, and you know reports were she was stable and doing well. And my thoughts as a nurse and and a nurse who's worked in the intensive care unit was this scene cannot be good. This cannot look good. She's likely ventilated. You know yeah. the trans of her from a plane and an airport uh, to an intensive care unit to a trauma center, basically. Um, you know, so it didn't come as a big surprise to me that she did, in fact, pass. She also had bipolar disorder and was on some heavy antipsychotic medications like lithium, which can impact the kidney, which can also have an impact on heart disease. So, so how do we uh, contend with that? And then also her mother, Debbie Reynolds, passing away the next day of allegedly a broken heart syndrome. And is broken heart syndrome real? Yeah, I mean, uh, both deaths were so tragic. And we all know that, um, or, or we should know, I guess, that heart disease is the number one killer for men and women. But when you hear it, somebody public like Carrie Fisher and her mom, uh, Debbie Reynolds, it just really drives that point home. And and, and I think, um, you know, we hear, um, there's so many different things we hear about in the news today, different things that can hurt us, uh, you know, fears of terrorism, things like that. But, you know, what we can all do is try to be healthy and try to minimize our risk for heart disease, which is still our, you know, both for both men and women. It's the number one cause of death and mortality and suffering in, in Canada. For Carrie Fisher, you know, you get different uh, news reports, so I'm not sure which one to believe. Some initially said a heart attack, and then it was later changed to um, a cardiac arrest on the plane, where it's a little bit different. Your heart actually stops beating. It's because uh, the heart rhythm becomes unstable. That's often because you get a heart attack, but it can also happen because of, you know, too many psychiatric medications or other medications. So there's different causes that would make your heart stop. And then like you, you know, when, when I heard that she was going into intensive care, uh, you know, knowing that I'm sure the plane crew did their best, but their ability to help somebody is very limited on a plane. You know, I knew the odds probably weren't very good. Because even if you're on a plane, and I'm sure this has happened to you, where they call for a doctor or a nurse, mm -hmm. and, you know, we're limited by the lack of equipment that mm -hmm. we we have on a plane. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's happened to me a, a few times and, you know, touch wood, fortunately, every, each time worked well, but, you know, it's, the plane is cramped, uh, the oxygen pressure is low, there's only so much you can do, and the, the equipment is limited. Most planes would carry like a defibrillator, they carry a few medications, they carry a set of IVs and syringes that I can vaguely remember how to use, you know, but... Uh, but um, your ability to help people is limited. And your ability to decision. intubate somebody and to help yeah, them to breathe again is exactly. impossible it's, it's because pretty, they don't have exactly. airways necessarily or tubes, endotracheal exactly. tubes to intubate somebody. Um, so, but uh, the people who are on antipsychotic medications, those are pretty powerful medications and they definitely have side effects. And they often have to change them if somebody's creatinine level increases, yep. if they're on lithium, they may have to change them to another antipsychotic medication. Th they are. I mean, I mean, uh, I don't want to scare any of the listeners. I mean, uh, when used under supervision, they can the, these medications can be used very well and be extremely helpful, but you do have to be careful. You do have to take them correctly and you do have to reflect changes in your health like, like what you mentioned. Things like kidney function are all important to be aware of and to, you know, to have monitored. And if they're not, that can be a contributing factor to, you know, to, to terrible things like what we heard happen. And, it, and it's complex care quite often when it you is. have other uh, illnesses uh, that go along with, with that. And Carrie Fisher died at the age of 60, you know, mm -hmm. which, is, which is young today. Mm -hmm. is, um, yeah. Her mom, 84, yeah. um, the very next day. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit before we get into what people can do to protect their heart and prevent heart disease or heart attack or cardiac arrest. Um, what about this broken heart syndrome? I mean, we've all lost a lover that uh, we thought uh, was the one. Yeah. And we've been brokenhearted. We've been sad, rejection, loneliness, uh, you know, disappointed. They, the ghosting, they just come and go. Uh, so, and, and you, you suffer physical ailments. You're, mm -hmm. You have nausea, heart palpitations. Um, you're nervous. You can't sleep. You may not be able to eat. So, you know, this broken heart syndrome can be a real, a real, very real thing. When my dog Marvin died, that's yeah. my most recent <laughs> loss. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry about. I'm sorry about Marvin. I mean, Thank you. There's, there's the there's the emotional impact that, you know, that the sadness and everything that we've all experienced, and then. Um, you know, stress and emotional stress when it's extreme can cause several different things to go wrong with our body. So 
what we term as broken heart syndrome as cardiologists is a specific problem also called Takotsubo syndrome, which is a Japanese phrase, but it's because the heart kind of balloons out funny like a Japanese octopus trap where uh, the heart, you get, the patients get chest pain, they feel unwell, it feels like a heart attack, but the heart just stops squeezing properly and doesn't work uh, and they get very sick. They can have trouble breathing, they get bad arrhythmias. And so that's, that's the real sort of broken heart syndrome that we think of as cardiologists. And then you say somebody died of a broken heart I mean, the severe emotional stress can cause both this one Takotsubo octopus trap thing can also make you more likely to have a more conventional or typical heart attack or stroke. And so some reports have said that Debbie Reynolds actually died of a stroke. But the idea there is that there's so much stress, adrenaline levels really high, and that it upsets our arteries, the so little arteries up to our brain. Um, you know, there are these thin blood vessels that have different layers, and you get cholesterol plaques in them, just like you do in the heart. These plaques get disturbed and rupture and form a clot, which gives you a stroke. So there's several different ways that stress can cause, you know, several different um, severe medical outcomes, if you will, and, and both the broken heart syndrome, which is a particular type of cardiac disease, and then other things like heart attack and stroke and so forth. So managing stress is key and yep. how we um, extremely affect, important. Uh, how we manage that because some people can panic or they can worry. Mm-hmm. I, I've come across a lot of worriers recently and I say to them, listen, worry will, I, I know somebody who didn't sleep a wink last night worried about something. It all went off without a hitch. And I said, listen, worrying is like, she said, did you sleep? I said, yes, I did. And I said, worrying is like sitting on a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's actu- absolutely no benefit. So, you know, to lose an entire night's sleep over worrying some- about something that you have no control over uh, can also have an impact on your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's your best wisdom for 2017 for people to... Um, uh, take care of their heart and prevent heart disease? Well, I mean, you've got to look after all your different risk factors. So stress is certainly one of them. The best way, we don't know. So do whatever works for you, something healthy, you know, meditation, exercise, relaxation relaxation therapy. But it's important to recognize that if you're facing a lot of chronic stress and you're aware of it, you need to do something to try and bring that down. And then to know your numbers, things like cholesterol, your weight, your blood pressure, your blood sugar. Check in with your doctor and know where your numbers are and see if you need to improve them. Excellent. And perhaps add an optimistic attitude to that. Happy New Year, Dr. Weisler. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.